Well, hello and welcome to Good Business Pays TV, where we talk to leaders of business about fast payment, and we also talk to leaders of the major business organizations about their views on payment culture. And we are lucky to have with us today Kitty Usher, who is the Chief Economist for the Institute of Directors. Welcome to you, Kitty. Thanks for having me, Terry. So, um, Institute of Directors, we may all think we know what it is and what it does, but could you tell us a bit about the IOD and then also about your role at the organisation, please? Yes, well, the IOD has been around uh, a long time. We're formed by Royal Charter that was granted way back in uh, 1906, um, and we're a membership body for business leaders, uh, typically directors of businesses, the uh, the clues uh, in the name. But um, what isn't always uh, understood is that those business leaders actually aren't necessarily of uh, sort of FTSE 100 uh, uh, companies, global companies, although we do represent some individuals who operate at that level. But typically they're running smaller businesses, um, uh, all the way from uh, sole traders, which represent maybe 10, 15% of our membership, all the way through to uh, uh, larger companies employing hundreds of people with turnovers in the uh, definitely the tens, sometimes hundreds uh, of millions. Uh, the, the, the average uh, member of the IOD is probably running a medium-sized business that's unlikely to be publicly listed, although some of them are perhaps listed uh, on, on AIM, uh, and it's across uh, all sectors of the economy and uh, all regions of the United Kingdom and nations of the United Kingdom. And we also have, in, in some parts of the world, uh, a growing international uh, membership as well. Um, final thing to say is that our, our members join us individually, uh, so it's not sort of corporate memberships, and they mainly join uh, for support in their own professional development. We, we offer a very broad range of uh, training, sort of CPD support uh, for those people who, um, who want to get better at running r running their own firms, and we're also uh, a sort of national area centre of ex expertise. For for corporate governance issues, so how to get your board structures right and make sure that your company is as resilient as possible. Uh, and I work in the policy team because we also have a role um, to represent the views of our membership uh, to government and also the other way around to, to make sure that uh, our members you know, have the best possible chance to interpret what on earth is going on at a national level in, in, in Whitehall uh, and, and also in the economy as a whole. And what are the the sort of we used to sort of say when I was in consulting, what are the things that keep these people awake at night? What are the top issues for those people that are your members in these medium sized companies, especially? Yeah, we have a pretty good market research tool, if I say so myself. And we're, we're really proud of our ability to sort of understand what the pain points are and, and what our members are exercised uh, about. At the moment, and it's been pretty consistent for the last year or so, uh, there's three main themes that, that are emerging. One is um, just general concern about the business environment, the UK economy, which is understandable given the shocks and disturbances that, that, that we've seen in recent years. Um, second uh, is, uh, well, second and third um, uh, 
our cost of energy, obviously, since the wholesale market price of energy has soared coming out of the pandemic, and also skills shortages, our members are just finding it really, really hard and still do find it really hard to get the uh, the talent uh, that they need. So those three issues have been the sort of top three pain points um, recently. Um, after that, you get, you know, very important, but perhaps usual concerns around the level of taxation uh, and uh, compliance and regulation costs, the sort of red tape uh, issues. Um, and then underneath that, uh, there are some really important issues around infrastructure uh, and access uh, to finance. Uh, and, you know, perhaps relevant to this conversation, we we do track um, difficulty obtaining uh, payment uh, uh, which is important enough issue to be to 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 be measurable, um, but in terms of list of priorities, I, I wouldn't say it's it's top. Although obviously there are um, individual concerns that, that affect individual firms at different times. Yeah, I would say I suppose cash flow um, is is sort of the oxygen for every business, isn't it? Really, and of even though. Um, Payments and late payments and slow payments, which is the bit that we try and speed up at Good Business Pays, uh, isn't a top issue. It kind of underpins a lot of other things like, you know, the cost of doing business. Especially for those middle companies, we often hear at Good Business Pays medium-sized companies that are squeezed in the middle between a large company that they're supplying and smaller suppliers that are supplying them. Mm. That gap, gap, cash flow gap between stuff they have to buy and produce and sell on sometimes, and when they get paid for that. Do you do you hear that at all? Those companies in the middle. Of course, and you're and you're absolutely right. You can't run a business at all if you haven't got cash coming in. So um, you, you know the fact that it's not the top pain point doesn't mean that it's not essential for business as usual. Um, in terms of who's getting squeezed by what, uh, I mean, to the extent that larger firms are paying more slowly than uh, suppliers, smaller suppliers are expecting to get paid and, you know, desperately need to get 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 paid fast. Of course, there's an issue there. Uh, Well-run businesses who have got used to uh, the kind of rhythm of um, what they can expect from, from which customers and clients at, at what time, obviously will be able to manage that. Um, the difficulty comes is if there's a, uh, a sort of sharp change in what you're expecting, um, because then obviously that 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 throws out your 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 cash flow planning, and you know the the longer the payment terms, obviously the risk of that uh, increases. Now, um, payment culture, which is something that that we talk about, is we think determined by the directors of companies. Um, but how do you think? Well, first of all, the first question, I guess, is what do you understand? Do you understand the term payment culture or what do you understand by the term payment culture, which is something that we talk about? Uh, is there such a thing? And uh, if there is such a thing as payment culture, how do you think it happens? Well, I think particularly larger firms face a business decision as to what their policy will be around payment terms. Um Obviously, it's not illegal to have longer payment terms, so um, they they do face a choice. Um, so they want to decide whether to sign up to the prompt payment code 
for example, uh, whether they want to be the type of organisation who think it's core to their values, I guess, to pay fast, or whether that's not a concern and they're simply continually maximising the the individual sort of advantage contract by contract to, to, to their own business. So, I, I, I mean, payment culture, I guess, encompasses all, all of that. You make a choice about to what extent you're going to behave in a certain way. And of course, that is a business choice. But I think increasingly, and this is a you know, tribute to the work that good business pays and others have done, it is at least a conscious decision, I think. Um, and, and there are issues of, you know, supplier management policy and reputational risk that that do come into the balance and not just reputational risk um, in the public arena, which I'm sure we'll come on to talking about, um, but also just within the industry, whether uh, a firm is has a reputation of being a good payer or a bad payer is increasingly a business concern. In fact, it probably always has been a business concern um, uh, as well as um, you know that that, that a, um, a paying company needs needs to take account of because sometimes people have a choice who they decide to contract with and it, and it and it will be relevant. Yes, and um, and we often talk about slow payment, uh, which is you're right. Uh, it's not illegal to have a ninety or one hundred and twenty day payment, and companies can accept those terms if they want to. What what is also worrying is late payment. Yes. So, even if you've signed a 90-day uh, 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 paying contract, if it's not there on the 91st day, you're then into uh, late payment. Uh, and that isn't, hopefully, a matter of choice. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe it's uh, bad systems or something broken in the system, but one in four um, invoices in large companies are paid late. Uh, yeah. If you've seen that figure, but that's 25% of a large company's invoices, which would be thousands of invoices a week, as a lot of money and a lot of suppliers waiting for payment. Well, you're, you're the expert on the actual data, but that, that, that would sound very worrying, and particularly since that's outside the contract terms, presumably, and it would seem to me that that perhaps takes advantage of the fact that the cost um, to a smaller supplier to actually take a case um, is so prohibitive that in everyday business, larger companies can sort of get away with not 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 paying on time and therefore therefore maximizing their own cash flow. What I thought was particularly interesting in the early months of the pandemic um, was quite how how much of a problem that became just for a short period of time. Because presumably, I mean, it's quite rational in, in a sense for everybody to try and hoard cash in a, an extraordinary crisis situation. Um, um, but that, I think, just shows how much uh, discretionary ability, particularly larger firms, have to decide not to pay, even though they know it's against the contract terms that they've already signed um, for their own short-term business uh, interests. Thankfully, that then did unwind as things settled. Um, but it shows that there is the potential to, to cause real harm and make a conscious choice to do so. Yes, and, and we've now got the benefit, of course, with the, I think it was 2017 that the payment performance regulations came in. We've got the benefit of five, six years almost of payment reports. We don't actually see a huge difference in behaviour over time. Um, it's If you look at individual companies, what we see is if there is a big change, an external change, which might be leadership, ownership, um, an intervention from an organisation, perhaps like ours, that's called them out in the in the newspaper or something, 
then there's a change. But apart from that, there isn't a lot of change. So bad payers tend to remain bad payers. Good ones tend to remain good, which is where we come back to uh, payment culture. And of course, the role of directors, because ultimately it is the people at the top, the CFO and sometimes the CEO, uh, that um, uh, that kind of makes that decision. You know, somebody decides in an organisation. Yes, it, it it does appear to be a, a business choice, and I'm, I'm I'm really glad that you that you mentioned the um, the, the payment publication regulations um, from from 2017, which are, which are hugely welcome because it gives those smaller suppliers who we predominantly represent, I guess, um, the ability at least to have uh, to to check on a client or a potential client and sort of work out what payment culture they're, they're therefore dealing with, um, which helps them to plan and, and make their own choices. There are fundamental problems though, <laughs> and I think you've sort of touched on this in the question that, that, that you're asking. Um, the first one is that there isn't high enough awareness uh, of, of that service. Our, our, our data shows that less than 10% of our members even heard of it. And so obviously you haven't heard of it, you're not gonna check it. Um, but secondly, the ability of a smaller company to take on a larger company who have a sort of systematic policy that isn't as good as it should be, we, we might say, not not uh, best practice is is extremely limited. And that's the, now evidence we have, have the kind of paper trail for that because there hasn't been a shift in the average time taken to pay since more visibility um, was enabled through these through these new regulations. Uh, I think the government's own own data shows the average time taken to pay has remained stable at 37 days um, in aggregate. If you had to sort of pick one data point for to describe the whole situation, um, and that hasn't changed, even though there's been more visibility. So there's something you know that kind of is you you can see that they've kind of got the kind of germ of a good idea in in increasing accessibility of the data but it's, it's not really exercising the power that it could and so you know we, we have a number of ways that, that that we think the power of that data can be used more effectively to spur change so that you know despite the wonderful work that organizations like good good business pays and other campaign groups are doing um, uh, it won't need you to do it because the sort of system itself will generate that that type of pressure and in particular using the media I think to call out slow payers would be would be really effective and um, and I think that the the other I suppose slightly worrying statistic is that since 2017 or when when the uh, reporting system was put in place there were 10,000 companies according to Bayes, that should be reporting um, and and around 9,000 have reported during that time, 9,000 out of the 10,000, but today only a little over 5,000 are reporting. So what we're seeing is a trailing off of uh, larger organisations even bothering to report, uh, in part because um, no one's ever kind of gone to prison, if you like, for, for yeah. breaking the statutory rule of, of actually reporting their figures in the first place nothing happens with the figures no one's going to chase after us so nothing happens and we, we won't bother um, i think that's a worrying thing very worrying and an extremely important point you know the, it's all very well regulating making it illegal not to do something but then if you don't follow up and enforce um what's the point frankly so, um, on that point then so what what 
I know you've made a number of recommendations to the government around the, uh, the proposed changes or strengthening, one might call that, of the current regulations. But there's a, there's a sort of balance of scales, one being, I suppose, uh, enforcement and the other one being um, uh, encouragement, right? So the sort of carrot and the stick approach to making change happen, because what we're talking about here is a, is a cultural change, a behaviour change. Um, what, what do you think is the right balance? I'm not sure I'd characterise it like that, actually. I, I see it in, in, in two different ways. I, I think if you have a, a regulation that, that requires anyone to do anything, including companies, and that's that's then law. So if to the extent that that is being, not being complied with, then the government needs to enforce it. And, and that's a kind of hygiene factor, I think. So there needs to be sufficient investment. And I, I can't see it's a massive investment on the scale of everything government does um, uh, to do some kind of cross check to make sure that all those firms that are in scope are indeed reporting. And then you know, presumably there's, there's penalties laid out in the regulations for those that don't. And, and, and that needs to be followed through. So that that will, if that was done, that would uh, probably have, 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 have quite a quick impact. I think there's the second question, which I don't think is a balance against that, is, is about encouragement and using the power of that data. Um, and I think this can be done with a relatively modest investment into the actual website and the actual data that's that's produced. So, so now, A, if you know the website exists, you can go and type in the name of your client or potential client and it'll produce a sort of list of reports, which you could, you then have to sort of click several times to get through and try and work out what it is and has there been an improvement and what does that actually mean for me, which is quite onerous if you're trying to run a small business, particularly since you don't know it exists. Um, so a relatively small investment to produce something much more sort of media accessible so that the company feels the pressure without the small business having to do anything. Um, I, I think would be hugely impactful. Um, so what we've asked for is the government should produce a sort of top 10, 10 ranking of best payers and worst payers, um, and that that should be routinely released to the media and therefore discussed in Parliament. Um, and that this aggregate figure that's been sort of stuck at 37 days should also be routinely updated, say, twice a year, so that... The democratic system can hold ministers to account and say, you know, why is it still 37? That means there's a, you know, there's a large number of people who are paying more slowly than that. You know, what's your target? When's it going to be 30? When's it going to be 25? And so on. Um, and then there are some, so th those two things we think would have a massive impact without those company leaders that, that we represent actually having to do anything because you'll get it the front page of the mirror or whatever you know here's the bad pay as well or at least the business pages and that will have an immediate effect in the boardroom without anyone having to know where the website is apart from the journalists um, and I think then there's a sort of second tier uh, improvements to the uh, type of data that needs to be reported in particular reporting on the value of uh, contracts that are paid more slowly or outside contract terms because at the moment you could game the system so if you're a large company and you have say a large number of relatively small invoices and then a couple of really big chunky ones you could pay all the small ones really quickly and that would sort of massage your uh, data response uh, but actually in terms of value you're you're, you're not really behaving responsibly um, and so if you were if, if if there was more information on value versus volume, 
um, I think that would be useful uh, as well for for smaller firms. So none of this really costs a huge amount of money and it doesn't require legislation. It just requires a determination by government to really get the most out of the process they've already started to get greater visibility. Yeah, uh, it's really good actually, good, good thinking. Um, as an economist as well, I'm interested in your view of, um, we did a report called Who Cares? And what we were interested in is uh, companies that have hit the buffers that have failed so some of those big retail chains like uh, Topman and Wallace and uh, Debenhams and then Flybee, uh, Midas Construction, big companies that have um, gone west if you like and uh, what we wanted to do was we wanted to look at the payment performance of those companies in the three years before they folded and uh, and in that report who cares which is free to download on our website he says plugging it um uh you can see that each of those companies was paying almost uh, twice as long uh, as their competitors who still exist mm -hmm. and in the last six months to a year you see a sort of hockey stick jump up where payment times get even longer so we pull the black box out of the sea if you like and say what happened there and so we see bad behavior a uh, uh, bad payment behavior and culture in companies that are failing and and so i'm just wondering now do we look at those companies that are taking a long time to pay and that are paying late now and say to small businesses, be careful, get check the credit reference agency of this large company that you might want to sign a contract with? Well, I mean, it's up to anyone to, to say that. What I wouldn't want to do is create a situation that actually precipitates a a sort of run on the bank type problem with a with with a, with a firm by having you know unfair rumours circulating. If actually it's just an issue of internal payment culture that, yeah. that, that can be fixed, but I think what your research has done is is highlighted something extremely interesting. Um, in that you know there does seem to sometimes be a correlation between paying more slowly and being in severe financial difficulty, which of course makes logical sense. Um, so, I mean, I see no, as an economist, I see no issue with that information not being in the public domain because it does give uh, perhaps a red flag to, to, to those who then want to enter into effectively credit arrangements <laughs> with, with, with these firms. Um, of course, what it might mean is that it sort of condenses the sort of internal crisis period or internal concern period because it becomes more more public more um more quickly but that in itself might incentivize others to kind of get this under control um so i think you've raised a sort of interesting correlation and we've joked in the past i know about how if you were a, a hedge fund you might want to be very very aware <laughs> of what's going on uh, in in some firms more you know using using this uh, data set um so I, I just think it's a fact isn't it and so there's there's no particular reason why um you know, it shouldn't be out there so that so that uh, other companies can, can can make their own choices. I think the the other question I wanted to ask, particularly given your role at the IOD, is that um, what we have found is that when we go to the very top of a company, to the CEO, and we're currently about to publish the late and slow list for September, the late and slow watch list. So that's the the worst payers, latest and slowest. Uh, I'm writing to the CEOs, which I normally do four months before, three months before to say, here's the situation. What I do find is that in many cases, the CEOs are not aware. Mm. The top 
are not aware that their company is as bad, if you want to use that term, as paying as they are, because it's down in the engine room of the company and they're distant from it. And when they find out, quite often it will change before they even land on that list. And so, um, and I, when I started this uh, organization, I said, we've got to get the conversation away from the boardroom table and onto the kitchen table to some, somewhat, mm. because it's a human conversation around what's fair and what's right. And, um, and as the Institute of Directors, of course, you are an organization made up of these very people that make these decisions and are affected by those uh, decisions as well. And I'm just wondering if there is any way that the, the Institute can play a role in terms of connecting the individuals rather than the organizations around this. Because as I said, when you get to the individual level, they're quite often surprised and, and it's a tech fixed or it's process fixed or it's a something fixed because they don't really want to be putting small businesses out of business. And wonder what your thoughts were on that. Implicit in your question is that we're representing the directors or CEOs of the slow paying companies. Um, I mean, I don't know exactly, but I'm pretty clear that our interest in this is in the suppliers, um, which is why we want it to work better. Um, so as a advocacy group on behalf of our members, we are very, very clear that we want the system to work properly. We want payment to be faster um, because we think that 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 benefits. That's what, what we're here for. That that benefits our um, community. Um, I'm very encouraged, actually, if you're contacting CEOs of the larger companies and they are by definition the larger ones because those are the companies that are in scope of the regulation um, that it's spurring change because that sort of supports the hunch that, that, that we have that if you had greater vis visibility, greater reputational sort of risk and pressure, we think it should happen through the media as well as through organisations like yours just because it's swift and fast. Um, uh, that it can spur change. And there's another sort of relevant consideration, which is the government has recently consulted among another, a number of other things um, to require uh, in their corporate governance uh, disclosures and annual reports require large companies to report on payment practices, um, uh, which would at least mean that large company board directors are checking their annual report with this data in it because they ultimately are the ones that have to sign it off. So if it's not a conversation happening in the boardroom at the moment, that you know would really support that recommendation because it would it would make it more likely uh, for those conversations to, to take place in order to get the visibility in, in, in the right part of the organisation. So, I mean, all of this is encouraging because what's happening is it's becoming more of a uh, is it a cross business um, kind of cultural issue? It's becoming part of the conversation. And I think where you and I certainly agree is that it needs to become more firmly part of the national conversation um, and more, la more loudly, and that that can actually be done relatively easily. And we'll certainly be making that case to government over the months ahead. Well, um, and, and, and that's it, actually. We've made it part of the conversation. We're continuing that with... Uh with companies and with government and that's all we can do and then we, we need to leave it to people to sort out their own businesses so um mm -hmm. thank you for being part of that conversation uh kitty usher uh, thanks very much for joining us today real pleasure thank you for the work you do mm -hmm.